back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and continuing with the theme of uh, speaking with guests that um, don't necessarily live in the United States, <laughs> I'm really happy to have you on the show. So today we've got uh, Claudia Baloni, um, and you do some real cool stuff that we haven't even touched on at all. We've been doing the show now for about three years, and so that's why I was really excited to have you on as a guest today. So welcome to the show, Claudia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. So you're visiting the U.S. Um, for, are you here for a, the expo show? or? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm here for the expo, but my total travel time is two weeks. Oh, wow. Cool. So For the whole U.S.? No, no for the Okay. I was <laughs> like, that Jesus. That would be intense. <laughs> yeah, that would be insane. Right. That's funny. We, we I talked about in previous episodes, you know, being in Asia and like this... A lot of the people in Southeast Asia just don't have any idea the scale of this country. Yeah, they're like, me neither. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, they were in Bangkok. They're like, well, I mean, how far away is like California from where you live? I'm like, um, how far away is Japan from where you live? Because it's the same distance. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I can fly for six hours and still be in the same country. That's why you guys are spoiled in Europe. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah. So you live in Austria, which is where your company is based. Uh, yes. We so are. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself and like how you kind of got involved in the business. I mean, yeah, I basically grew up in the business. So we are a family company in the fifth generation. And I've been involved since I could walk. Like we have our own really? apricot orchards. And my dad always took me to the harvest because I think he took me because it was closer to the ground, you know, <laughs> to picking up the apricots. This is genius. Your dad's a genius. He's like, we need more children. They're shorter. They can get all the apricots. No, but you know, it, it always was fun because it was time with downtime with my dad. He's always working. I was in uh, like kindergarten or like primary school. So we spent more time together and uh, the family members are all doing the orchards. So. So you've already jumped into it. So w before everybody gets confused, talk about what it is that you guys are known for and what it is that you produce, because we've already addressed apricots, um, yes. but you do some really magical things with apricots. Yes, yeah, so apricots are our thing. Like uh, We do that since 1872 in Austria. Uh, we do all kinds of different spirits with it, like an apricot brandy, apricot liqueurs, cream liqueurs. We do an apricot frisante, so... The sparkling you do a wine. creme liqueur with apricots too. Yes. Oh man, I'm you know I hate to be the stereotypical American that likes the sweet stuff, but man, I do like you know. <laughs> it's amazing in coffee. I, I love my rum cream from Jamaica. It's like it's <laughs> the one. It's like it's okay to be okay or to to be obsessed with that in Jamaica, or because people don't judge. But if you say you know, is that right? Just assumes American have a sweet tooth, and I totally do. <laughs> you know, I don't like sweet cocktails necessarily, but that's a. Uh, that's awesome. I haven't had that, and I've never even seen that. So I think I'm going to have to hunt you down. <laughs> yeah, come by to Austria. Like, come to our Yeah, distillery. so you are not only in Austria, but you are in a fucking amazing part of Austria. Yeah, in the Wachau. It's a beautiful valley. Uh, it's like um, one hour away from Vienna, like upstream the Danube River. So we are actually... So the area for, you know, we've done several episodes on wine and such and European, but this is an area that you would recognize as being home to Gruner Wettliner. Absolutely. Gruner Wettliner and Riesling is a very yeah. big... We always talk about Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. I love it. There are really good wineries on there. Yeah, you're spoiled. It's, yeah. uh, you know, that's when we were in Alsace last year for the wine fair, I'm like just cursing all of the kids walking down the street drinking like... Premier Crew and Grand Crew, and they don't even appreciate it. 
man, you know what's that cost me? <laughs> <laughs> so no, but this is an area that's famously known for that. So you are doing your your company has been in business since well before you were around. Uh, you're quite young, so <laughs> I, I, you don't look like the founder to me. Um, but so what do you do with these hypercars? I mean, you're, you're, is it uh, like an ODV? Yes, you can uh, translate it to an ODV. Uh, it's, we pick the apricots from the ground. Mm -hmm. So we wait until the tree drops the fruit to have. Oh, the, so they're super ripe. They're super overripe. They're super juicy. You have the perfect acidity level, the sugar level and the water content. So, and we immediately process them because they rot very fast. Mm. So we cannot store the fruit and wait like, okay, we get a bunch and then we start uh, mashing and fermenting. So now we have to do it like constantly. So since you are harvesting from the ground, I mean, mm -hmm. this is all, obviously, there's no machines that no. can just roll through that. That's why you have to keep having children and other <laughs> no. generations to, <laughs> to no. keep like, no. lower to the ground. But I mean, that, that's quite labor intensive. It is. It is. And uh, we start early in the mornings because it gets quite hot during the day. Mm -hmm. So uh, around 11 uh, a.m. and like noon, we get the first bunch in and start processing them. And then if it's really a big harvest, we go in the late afternoon again. So how long is or is the grow season until the harvest? Is this a year-round operation? Or? No, uh, the blossom is in April. Okay. It's beautiful. It's often compared in the valley, like to the cherry blossom of Japan. Or Washington, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, and I saw, beautiful. I Googled a couple of photos and it's striking. I, I love to go to DC during the cherry blossom festival and it's and I can't imagine just, you know, the rest of the surroundings. <laughs> D.C. doesn't ha quite have the mountains and the Danube and all that around. It just looks fabulous. You know, you have the vineyards and then just in the middle in between, you have some snow white fields of apricot orchards. It's stunning. And we actually had some real problems of tourists, like breaking their branches. Mm, tourists. Yeah. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> They're giving us all a bad name out there. No. <laughs> um, uh oh, now I'm getting to look at it like, yep, they were American. Let's hope they weren't. Um, so you said you've got, I mean, the, the whole valley is just filled with these trees. Are you the only producer doing this particular spirit in the valley? No. So actually, um, our company history goes way back. Uh, so actually, we come from Italy, from a, a grappa family. And mm -hmm. one of the brothers. I, would, I had no idea what the Bailoni last name. The, yeah, it's yeah. Italian. Yeah, it's, it's really Italian sounding. So that's also the reason. Like, uh, one of the brothers met an Austrian woman, fell in love, got married, and she lived in the Bajau area. So he moved there and actually founded the very first apricot distillery there. Really? So, yes. So he um, knew apricot how. Apricot distillery. Just, just speaking my language. I, just, <laughs> I, I, I love fruit distillates. I mean, well, obviously they're all fruit distillates, but you know, like. Yeah. I'm really obsessed with like raspberry, eau de vie, mm -hmm. and, and Alsace because it's just kind of really earthy. And we also do a raspberry. Yeah. Oh, raspberry. really? Yeah. Oh, I'm hunting you down. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's some of my favorites. So, so as he established the first distillery. Yeah. So slowly, uh, a lot of uh, wineries also started uh, distilling on small batches, mm -hmm. and there's still some uh, there. Distillers, which are growing a little bit bigger, and some of them who uh, only can produce in-house and on-premise, and also sell also on their premise. Oh, okay. So. So, what kind of like distribution do you guys have as far as availability? Because 
I know with some of these specialized, um, you said there's the liqueur and there's like the um, schnapps and there's the all the, the cream uh, yes. liqueur. But um, I know sometimes that those can be quite niche depending on what market you're in. Like, for example, I was just in Asia and I know that that would be a really hard sell there. Um, that it would be just fighting an uphill battle to try to get them to purchase it. So, you know, how, how widely available is this? So uh, you have a little to keep in mind, we have a small family sure, company. Sure. We have only 17 employees. Mm. So uh, our distribution is... Do you is... want an 18th? I'm volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> For the harvest, you That's hired. That's right. Oh, right. And never mind, not the bending down part. <laughs> so most of the distribution is, of course, in Austria and uh, Germany. We have a very close partner uh, there. Uh, and some uh, to free areas, like in the uh, Central Europe area. But actually, our biggest step was now the States. Really? That's fantastic for us. <laughs> yes, it was uh, internationalization by opportunity, I would say, because Henry Price, uh, our importer, reached out to us because he apparently uh, was in contact with my granddad, his wow. last company, Price Imports, before he sold to Anchor. Uh, so how many generations is this? Because we've talked about like a lot of family members here. Like, yeah. what, how, what generation are we on here? With the I'm the fifth. You're the fifth generation? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So, I mean, are you, at some point, you're going to be running the whole show, or are you already? N not yet. Um, I'm still planning on doing uh, a distiller degree. So, okay. Yeah. Like I said, you're quite young, so I, I assumed <laughs> you weren't running everything. So, no. there's a few generations still around telling you no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually have, like, my dad is still, of course, involved, and uh, he, um, we are in the office, like, all together mom, dad, me. The girlfriend of my brother just started on Tuesday. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's just still on Tuesday. Yeah. He's, he's still in high school, so he okay. needs a little bit more time. But They're still picking up the fruit off the ground for the harvest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they are. So I, I've read a little bit about your story. And what struck me as I read some of the interviews um, that you've done in the past or that other just other stories that have been written about the company. But I think it was you, in fact, that made a comment that telling the story of Bailoni was like as, as important to, you know, the product in the bottle, like just telling where it came from, the history, the history of it and all that. And so, I mean, and I couldn't agree more. I think, I mean, that's what we all do behind the bar. Um, we're always telling stories and, and Absolutely. you know, on, on the sales side of that as well, like people, they want the story. They want to know what's in the glass and, I love talking, so, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have a show. But, you know, it's like when we are able to put down a, a something kind of out of left field, I mean, you have to, to give it a story or it won't sell. Absolutely. Like I totally agree. this particular product, you have to kind of fill it in. And so I'm really interested in like, you know, I know that you've started it or I've read anyhow. I don't know any of these things. This is um, I don't have a lot of background on you. Uh, and I think that speaks to this being such a niche product, right? Because, you know, if I'm looking up a Napa Valley winery, it's easy to find something on Google. But, you know, as I'm trying to find, uh, and I can't say it with the right accent, but if I'm trying to find a, 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 a liquor or liqueur from Wakao, or, um, good. then it's, it's, good going to be, it's going to be a little bit trickier for me to find. And if I do find anything, it's going to have to be translated through Google and all mm -hmm. that. And so, like, telling those stories, um, putting that across the bar is really helpful but it's harder to find resources. So, I mean, other than like, you know, you said your your uh, family had actually planted those first uh, trees in the valley, but, you know, now we're here, we are four generations later um, from those original plantings. 
and then you are actually even doing tours now that are like educational, no? Or is there some level of tourism there? Or Absolutely. The Wachau is a, a very tourist, a big tourist magnet because it's a really stunning valley. And actually the apricot was there already like for centuries. Mm-hmm. Like it's also, it came actually with the Roman Empire ah. to the central Europe, but nobody was doing anything in the valley with it. They were just making jam right. pie. Wow. So my ancestor was like, let's distill it. Let's, right, see, yeah. let's see what happens. <laughs> if there's one thing that we can like commonly say about humans, if like if there's juice, someone's going to say, well, let's try to distill it. Absolutely. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and to come back to your question, yes, we do uh, a lot of tours um, through our distillery. We uh, we show them our, our our the heart of the company distill. During the harvest, it's the most exciting because they see the process, procession of the apricot right away. And uh, we have tastings as well. So with there being so many um, trees in the valley, and you said you guys had, what, a thousand? 1,500 in our orchards. And uh, we are regionally restricted of sourcing. So we can only source in the Vajal Valley to... Uh, you can it's you compare it to champagne. champagne right. Yeah. So is it is canceled. it a, a, a protected designation? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so when we buy from farmers from the region, our additional needs, uh, they have to have the cert- same certification that they are from the Bajau. That's interesting. So as I was you know kind of looking up some of these products because they are um, new to our market, um, you know we start to see a lot of the words, um, and we've actually. Um, when Thomas Hein was on the show, we did a, a breakdown of how to read a German Riesling bottle. And, um, <laughs> you know, and we often find that um, in Austria and Germany that like, it's like, well, we have some information, it should go on the label. And so as there are some terms that I think that can be confused because of some less than honorable producers in the United States and, and the UK. But the, I think the big ones that could be confusing with your product as somebody would come in it would be liqueur versus schnapps. And those, what we see as schnapps here is like the crappy stuff that I tried when I was in fourth grade and I mm-hmm. was some peach flavored thing that by companies we shan't mention. But, uh, you know, but explain that because it is quite different when you go and drink an, an Austrian schnapps versus what most people's perception is of that. Absolutely. It's a total different category in Austria. So um, it starts already actually by the spelling. We write schnapps with one P. Here in the States, it's written with two P. So right. that's already the first sign, okay, I'm drinking something else. Um, no, uh, schnapps is considered uh, or could be translated to eau de vie or brandy in the English language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, any kind of fruit distilled uh, to a very high proof, no sugar added. Uh, it can be uh, apricot. William Pear mm-hmm. is also a big one. Uh, but it's the other side is the States, they just add a lot of sugar, like peppermint schnapps. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> you chose like the worst one. <laughs> it's the easiest one I to think explain. But uh, yeah, that's the big difference. You have- especially when you say apricot, you know, if you're like apricot schnapps. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of people, especially in the 80s and 90s, you know, they had that, uh, what's that orange juice and, and peach schnapps? drink uh fuzzy navel right and it's like that peach schnapps is just 
peach sugary syrup. I mean, it's, yeah, and this perception is so stuck in the mindset yeah, yeah. that it's really hard, even though I explain it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. It's spirit. And then I try it and there's, oh, it's not sweet. <laughs> and I'm like, I just explained uh, the difference, but it's still the, you know, how you grew up, how you perceive something that you just judge it differently. That's why we relabeled it uh, to brandy. We, and we keep our, but we keep schnapps still on the bottle. Oh, so it now does say, you said you relabeled it as brandy? Yes, it's apricot brandy. Uh, but we kept a small, um, like on the side of the label, uh, a little okay. note. So it's still labeled schnapps. somewhere on there. Yes. So just to get the confusion away. So the liqueur, um, so that is something that would have some sugar. Yes, um, the liqueur is so, the sweet side. Yes. So that's it, where is the sugar coming from? Just the addition of straight sugar, or using like apricot juice, or? I uh, know we we add sugar. It's okay. uh, Austrian sugar from the sugar beet. Oh, super! And so, uh, like, how sweet do are we talking here? I mean, you know. Mm, uh, you know, sweetness. Can, right? Sweetness is always like a personal preference. Sure. But I would say it's moderate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so. I, I'm particularly fascinating with you know the sorry the liquor or mm -hmm. the, 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 the shops because it's um, it what I'm really on this like um, quest for is to identify the distilled spirits in the world that show the most terroir. I just I'm a big fan of rum agricole or mm -hmm. agricole style as we mentioned in a few episodes. Um, I had a really great one from Vietnam lately and Thailand, but. Um, you know, when I was in Alsace um, with Patrick Aledo, we went to the Alsace Wine Fair, which, if you haven't been, isn't really a wine fair. It's just a giant fucking 10-day party that, <laughs> that has wine at it. <laughs> like, it was shocking, but we actually ended up drinking, uh, I believe it was with the guys from F. Meyer, and had their, uh, I blind-tasted their, their raspberry de vie, and it, it reminded me a lot of, of rum agricole. It was very earthy, kind of mushroomy. It was all these things. Additionally, um, I was recently in Singapore and had a Longan distillate mm -hmm. that tasted like mezcal. Oh, really? You know, so it's like, you know, when you kind of strip away the sugars and the things that we associate with apricot, right? Yes. Like you're left with all these other kind of um, volatile compounds. I don't want to get too much into the science of it, but all the like kind of volatile compounds and esters that make it through. And, you know, what what that brings through to apricot. Like, again, I'm obsessed with that terroir of that. And so like, you can really taste the wow, right? Absolutely. So we have, um, we do two products. We do the schnapps, like slash brandy and the liqueur, which is the sweet side. So for the, um, for the brandy, we distone the apricots, mash and ferment them. And after the triple distillation, we rest uh, the distillate in stainless steel tanks for two years, mm -hmm. but we let oxygen in. So, uh, creates a chemical reaction on a molecular basis. And what you talked about, the esters, they open up, create a lot of floral notes, makes the distillate very soft. And that's one of our most um, uh, quality marks, what we have on our product, because it's rested for so long. So when you taste this, what kind of notes are you getting out of the schnapps? Because it's, I'm always interested in how different things taste. Um, you know, once it goes to that distillation, because it's, it, you know, you have the perception when you see the label and you're like apricot, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily taste like apricot, you know? <laughs> I would presume the tasting notes as um, 
like more like dried apricot, but mm -hmm. also like a very floral note. Like if you're sipping uh, like flower paquette. Like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's so super floral, very yes, light. It's super floral, and it's beautiful. It's just uh, the nose and the the mouth feel is just one-to-one so -one. you said most of this is actually sold at home in austria like how is it typically consumed is it like making its way into cocktails or is it being sipped as like an aperitif yeah so we are in a culture where we drink everything straight nearly like vienna and salzburg have, they have really great cocktail programs but in my area we are not there yeah we are uh um also, the generations who are grow, grew up with our products, because we're such a traditional uh, brand, uh, they also pursue it just straight. But I did, a little, since I'm in the States, uh, I did a little bit of twists, played around, get inspiration from different bartenders. Yeah. Uh, they do split bases, for example, mm -hmm. with dark rum. It's amazing. Or did Yeah, you I'm, I'm always thinking rum, <laughs> but like, I mean, I think it's a go-to because the... the, the fruit esters that you would get out of a uh, the apricot distill would pair really well with some of the things we're getting out of, like, say, a Jamaican rum or a Martinican style rum, where it's a lot more light and floral. Absolutely. Or uh, a, a twist on traditional, uh, um, like an old-fashioned, like mm -hmm. Jamaican, uh, a white old-fashioned with the brandy. Uh, or a daiquiri. We need to make a mai tai without the uh, orange curacao and substitute some apricot. The liqueur, absolutely, yeah. the sweet one. Uh, or a daiquiri. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> Say, what are you doing tonight? All right. Um, <laughs> by the way, Nico, we're going to have another guest with us tonight. <laughs> so um, that's interesting that you say that. I mean, I'm not shocked to hear you say that, like, there's not a lot of uh, cocktails being done with that. Because, you know, as the more I travel, um, I guess probably back going all the way back to 2000 and... 13, probably the first time I went to Central America, um, I met up with Carlos Esquivel from Pilsa Rums and he sent me an email before I got there and said, just keep in mind, there is no cocktail culture here. <laughs> you know, this, that's a very American and European thing at the moment. Like you aren't going to find that here. I'm like, not even a daiquiri, which was a little bit disappointing being in <laughs> Central America and not being able to, I did get one, but I had to teach them how to make it. Um, not in an asshole way, like they asked, and I was like, <laughs> and then we had a great time. But so, but it's funny that you mentioned the the generational tradition because this company has um, kind of been very traditionalist up to this point. Absolutely, and you seem to be at the crux of the future of the company. Whether they may not, <laughs> your dad may not want to admit that to himself yet. But I mean, you're kind of part of the generation that may be bringing this to the bars in the states that and showing them how to use it in a cocktail. Absolutely, like uh, you, you can feel it in the company. Like I, also my brother, we are bringing in new ideas, uh, and sometimes you know how it is in the family. Sometimes ideas clash, and they just don't <laughs> agree. With family, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we're trying to work and balance uh, the old traditions with new ideas to combine them and just find the perfect harmony for it. Like. Um, my my father uh, is supporting me, what I'm doing here over the States. Of course, not everything works for us in the market in Austria. Sure. Then. So we cannot translate everything one-to-one, -one, right. same as we cannot translate everything one-to-one -to, -one to America. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but we do um, new marketing strategies now in Austria as well. We have a new website, you know, step-by-step, step, I'm trying to get the company to the 21st century. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is that kind of where you have to toe that line and figure out 
how to retain your identity Absolutely. as a brand, but still, you know, be relevant to people that aren't 95 years old. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to keep our values and traditions, but communicate it in a modern way to uh, the now younger generations who are the drinking age. So do you see that you've become that kind of ambassador out there? I mean, I mean how many trips have you made to the States um, for this purpose? It's, I think it's my fifth trip fifth right trip? now. Okay. Yes. Wow, you're actually, almost American now. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I actually lived uh, for a while with my importer, Nicole Price. Okay. She's just a couple of years older than me. Yeah. So I got to know the culture here. Uh, she was We have no culture. <laughs> <laughs> the cocktail culture. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and also th that every state is so different. It's like treating right. 50 different countries. Yes. And that's real frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we just shine the spotlight on it again, you know, like... It's, it's going to be hard for me to relate anything to anywhere but Asia for a little while until my brain arrives back from Asia. But right now, my, my brain and heart are still there. But yeah, the, the things that can happen there um, and the regulations are just so quite different and everything's open and um, in, in many ways and, and difficult in other ways. But yeah, I tried to explain that to people there and they're like, oh, no, I mean, can't you just send it over? And I'm like, no, yeah. and we have 50 sets of laws. Yeah. And it's really quite frustrating. Um, you mentioned, um, well, a couple of things I want to touch base back on. The, so you said the harvest starts in April? No, the blossom. It's the, the blossoms okay. start in April. Yes. Because right. that would mean that the harvest probably isn't going to happen until the fall? The harvest is in uh, July. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it goes uh, normally from mid-July to mid-August or beginning of August, mm -hmm. depending on the weather. Uh, for example, this year was really good. Four weeks, perfect harvest. We were uh, very satisfied. One, the last harvest one year ago, uh, it was so hot from March to September. It didn't rain one drop, and oh, wow. it was so hot that we were done uh, with the harvest in the last two weeks of June. So, how does that affect what comes off the stills? Because that's where it goes back to my question of terroir, right? Like, I mean, yes. that's a quite different. So how, does the product change from year to year? And I know, and like, I, again, I'm a rum geek. So like, I, and when we get, for example, um, the rum Clement Camblou, um that arrives here every year, and that's, it's labeled with a vintage every year in Martinique. Now, when it comes to the US, the taste differences are so subtle for I would say the the average American palate that they don't really put the difference of or they don't put the vintage on the bottle so you don't necessarily realize you're drinking a different year's product but how about for you so when you're you know distilling from year to year how does that difference in fruit affect I mean a, a dry year versus a wet year you know yeah absolutely it affects the fruit and uh, in the end uh, the finished product but we always store so much distillate. And also so much uh, base for the liqueur mm -hmm. uh, that we can, in case of a bad year or uh, bad quality of the apricots, that we can bridge a whole year without losing quality. Okay, so are you doing that through blending? Mm -hmm. and, and so do you have a consistent product? Uh, absolutely. Year to year to year? Yes. That's cool. I mean, I'd be really fascinated to see like one-off vintages, like to, to see how that changes. Like if you ever want to do some small batch stuff, just send it to me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, speaking of small batch, like, I mean, how much are you guys producing? You said you're a small uh, distillery. I mean, how much are you producing in the course of a year? Because you said most of your sales are actually happening within Austria. Austria. Germany, yeah. Um, so we need per year between uh, 
60 and 70 tons of apricots. So, uh, oh, wow, we, that's not much at all. No, we, uh, as I said, we are a small company. Uh, and we, so we also produce, uh, and then we have the two years of resting as mm-hmm. well, and the one year maceration for the liqueur. So um, we try to, f- I can say like bottle per month between f- 15,000 bottles of the liqueur and the brandy. This is a, it's quite affordable for such a limited production. I would expect the price tag to be much, 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 much more. I mean, some of my favorite eau de vies are, are double the price uh, of what I can get yours for. I mean, that, I'm not telling you raise your prices <laughs> yet. I'm just saying you deserve it. <laughs> you know? So, you know, we talked a little bit about distillation, and this is where I try to not get too geeky because some of our listeners are in the business. But, hell, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're at least 85 episodes in now. So, like, come on. Go Google some distillation stuff. But so you said triple distilled. So, um, you know, what proof is it coming off the stills and how much of that kind of terroir is being left over and how much of it is really kind of a, are you aiming more for a neutral spirit coming off of the stills? So out of the still, it comes around uh, 70, 80-ish percent. Okay. So at this strength, we... And that's what's coming off before bottling. Yes. Beautiful. Yes, we have. So uh, you're still retaining quite a lot of the original flavor. Yes, it's it's super rich uh, in the in the flavor in the nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, we at this strength we rest it, and then before we bottle it, we lower the drinking uh, ABV from sure. 40 percent. Okay, is, is all of it bottled at 40 percent, or only for the U.S. market? Everything is bottled at 40 across the board. Was that um, have you? I mean, you've tried it at higher proofs because you're at home with it. So how does that compare to uh, something, let's say, if you were to drink it at like 50%, 55%? Uh, it's just very, uh, I don't know, it's very alcohol forward. Mm-hmm. It's just, when it's a little bit diluted, it just opens up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And Especially uh, if you, like you said, it's quite floral. So Absolutely. And also 40% is like a very traditional volume mm. to have it in a bottle. Uh, it has been like that forever. Uh, some producers lower it already to 38 of tax reasons, but we say we want to keep it at 40 because it right. is. Right. But it also opens you up to other markets. Yeah. I mean, in the U.S., it's got to be 40. To, yes. Right. So, that, I mean, I guess it's a good place to land. So, what kind of stills uh, are being used during the distillation process? Pot stills. All pot stills. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> so, I mean, so that's that's. Really, I mean, not uncommon with a, a distillery of your size because it's um, it's easier to do batch distillation um, when it's such a small operation with 17 people and yeah. 16 of them are out there getting the fruit. <laughs> no, it's actually always four people. Always four people out four, there constantly. Between four and six. So yeah. you said you're gathering fruit during the whole season. Yeah. Like just, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you say you wait till it completely ripens and falls. Yes. Because I often say um, that that's like a, it's a tasting note for me um, with, with a lot of um, rums, of course, that like uh, agricole style rums, but like also fruit brandies, things like that. Because uh, one of my childhood memories is we had a crab apple tree 
um, in our yard. My dad never actually pulled the apples off, so they would just fall to the ground, and they were overripe and rotting, and the bees would get on them. Mm -hmm. And I had to cut the, you know, the grass, and I'm just turning it into applesauce, you know, as (laughs) as I'm cutting the grass. But the aroma of that, you know, is something that I very often um, tie into some of these that, that the terroir that I get out of um, some romagricoles and um, some ODVs that from Alsace and that I've tried in, in your product. And so it's it's a nostalgia thing for me, which I think plays into like a lot of what you've been talking about, the, the Baloney story, is that, you know, it's about heritage, it's about history. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you're making some adjustments, but, you know, that heritage and history is, is quite big. How, has the product changed over time? Like you said 1872? Mm-hmm. So, like, we started 1872, now we're in 2019. It's crazy. You've been in business that long. But so, have there been changes, tweaks to the recipe? Your dad came in and said, Grandpa didn't know what he was doing. You know? <laughs> no, no. I can't say Grandpa. He's probably still around. <laughs> great Grandpa. <laughs> so, actually, um, my great grandfather perfectionized um, the still and also the recipes and uh, brought the product outside of Austria to Germany. Uh, so he basically set the stone to be a successful company in, in a bigger scale. Before mm-hmm. that, we were just regional, just in our area, and uh, we're selling uh, by the bottle, per mm-hmm. se. Sure. And yeah, When you so, were seven years old, you had the cart? And, no, <laughs> uh, my grandfather actually died when I was two, so I never met him. Like I, could, I cannot remember him, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my father... Uh, try to continue his uh, legacy, and also uh, now with uh, in com- like in combination with me, we try to expand our company, but still uh, be family oriented and stay small and be uh, representing our values and traditions. So uh, the, those traditions that come through um, that like we addressed a little bit earlier, that's a kind of that double-edged sword because now we're in this like renaissance of cocktail culture mm-hmm. and, and also craft distilling, right? There's a million, everybody's trying everything, you know, especially in the distillation world. Everybody's like, has anybody ever tried to smash this and distill it? And so, uh, but you have all of this pedigree, you know, behind you. Um, I, I, I'm really fascinated, like how you kind of make that transition into the 21st century. And um, because of the small production, you know, and you said your your great grandfather kind of was the first to take it out of Austria. Um, so, like as that moves into the U.S., do you see more of that market shifting overseas, um, or kind of staying in Austria as your primary market? Um, so we actually we we just started in the U.S., so it's very young. Uh, we try uh, to be. Uh, in places where where they appreciate the story, where they appreciate the product and know the product, we know that we will not be in big chains of uh, sure. supermarkets or big uh, consolidations of uh, different kinds of uh, big brand bars uh, or restaurants. But uh, we really want to keep it also in, in contact with the local bar owners, restaurant owners, bartenders, lead uh, bartenders to have this kind of presence. So a craft cocktail scene is our focus. Wow. I mean, I think that's a really smart way to go. And it needs your hands for sure. Yes, absolutely. It's always hard to convince the older generations that these things that they've been like taking neat, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is totally out of left field, 
but I was I went down a rabbit hole, the internet, the Wikipedia rabbit hole last night. And so like the word schnapps actually is kind of like, I, I was told it's like a shortened version of like onomatopoeia of just like, you take that shot. Like it's like a, it would be like a quick dram, like a small little bite. It's like the etymology. I'm not sure you can. Schnapps is defined everywhere a little bit differently. Okay. Okay. So for us, schnapps is any kind of distilled fruit spirit. Okay, great. Yes. So, it's any so it is like what the French would call eau de vie. Or yes. We would just I'd call it brandy, yeah. eau de vie. Uh, that's for us. Um, uh, Marcus, who's from uh, Sweden, uh, he told me, like you said, schnapps is for them the word for taking a shot. Right, okay. So every, everywhere it's perceived something different. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. So talk a little bit about the fruit itself because we mentioned your um, your orchards. And so how many other producers are there around in your area? Because you seem to be the one that's most well-known. Um, are they kind of selling just primarily locally or like you said, yes. like, you know, bottle by bottle like it used to be? Uh, yes, uh, there's uh, a couple of other distilleries uh, who are uh, doing well regionally. Mm -hmm. Regionally being in Austria yeah. only or Austria, Austria and Germany? Austria. Okay. Um, and then there are some small uh, distilleries who can only sell on their premise. They have not uh, the license to sell to uh, supermarkets or restaurants. They're just allowed to be on their premise. Right. I mean, my only, I guess, um, run-in or experience or identity that I have with, with apricot uh, brandy or schnapps or eau de vie or whatever you would like to call it, would be with um, from my friend Nico uh, that uh, imports Rochelle, mm -hmm. um, whom I'm having dinner with a little bit later tonight. So, oh really? Um, so yeah, that's interesting. That I think that there's a lot out there, and, and you know, I, arrogant um, Westerners often, you know, are really proud that they found something, you know. And, and you're a, a perfect example. It's like you know, since the 1870s has been being produced, and you know, and, and a lot of the producers of mezcales in Mexico is like, we found this thing. You know, you, it's like Columbus finding a, a, you know, a continent full of people. I don't think any, anything was found. Um, and so, you know, there is this desire for more products and this hunger and thirst for, um, for new products. But then there's also the tradition that everyone wants. Absolutely. And you kind of seem to, to like check all the boxes. Um, so, but the fruit that comes out of that valley, you said there's variations. So, I mean, how, are most of the producers buying fruit from kind of like co-ops um, that are growing them, or there's you know, or are they kind of estate produced? So um, there are a lot of people who grow apricot trees. Uh, some of them are also wineries, or I some just of them. Want to fucking move to Warsaw. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, just everybody grows apricot trees and drinks Grunewaldliner, and where everybody's happy and you know. Yeah, for the wineries, I, th I personally think I'm not sure if that's the case. But they just grow it to have a second harvest, like mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the grapes and then the apricots. At first, the apricots and then the grapes, um, and some of them just have like inherited a huge uh, orchard, mm -hmm. like with 35, 50 trees. And of course, like uh, I last time I checked the statistics, I think there are like over a hundred thousand apricot trees in the valley. Wow! Um, and what kind of area are we talking about in the valley? Um, it's. So it starts in Krems and then to Malk. I think it's like between 30 and 40. Yeah, it's super, it's a super, super tiny valley. And so that's a ton of, of apricot trees coming through on that. Um, and that, well, you just said something that, you know, 
I guess it begs to ask the question. So you said a lot of the wineries have trees and they're just kind of doing it to have a second harvest or a second crop. But um, I haven't heard that from you. So what happens when your season's over and the distillate is resting and stainless and ready to be blended? I mean, is that at the time that you guys bottle like previous vintages or is that... Does everybody take a few months off? And, you know, and <laughs> it has always work to do, always. So, uh, the cleaning. <laughs> yeah. uh, after, after the harvest, um, the ferment, fermentation starts. So the uh, fruits ferments for four weeks. And then we start distilling uh, in September. Okay. Um, after the uh, distill is, is finished, uh, we actually always have something to do in the, in the, in the cellars. Sure. Uh, we have to bottle... We have to uh, make ready for takeout. Um, we have a lot of events all year round, mm-hmm. um, and also, uh, yeah, with my travels here. It's yes, no, that's why. I, that's, I guess that's what I was getting at, right? Like, I mean, there's things to do, but you're not. It's not necessarily hands on in the distillery. I know that you know in my travels in the Caribbean, of like the people that are dependent upon uh, the seasons for the the sugarcane, like that's the time. It's like okay, the distillery gets scrubbed clean. Everything gets all prepped for the next season, but um, you know, on the, <laughs> I'm just thinking like this amazing, beautiful area. You're out here trying to sell it, you know, and there's a lot of these growers in the region, but this is the one that we're familiar with. So, as you are growing in the U.S. market, um, how many do you know? How many states this is available in at the moment? At the moment, let, let me think for a second. No, you have no second. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a couple. I think it's it's around ten states. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to be a little bit tough to get, but you can always order online, of course, um, in most states. Indiana, unfortunately, not one of them, but we have it, so we don't have to yes. worry about ordering it, right? Absolutely. So yes, come by any of our bars and come check it out. Um, so, like, what's next? I mean, what what are your plans? Because eventually, this is going to be your show completely. Um, you know, and you will be able to be traveling less, but you'll be making more decisions about uh, where to move. And the, and so you t- mentioned the craft cocktails and trying to get into those bars and, and get placement. So where do you see the growth of the company heading? So uh, I really want to just um, bring across our style of spirit, like schnapps slash brandy, what it is, what we associated with. Uh, and also... Uh, I see the company uh, growing in a direction of um, not everything has to be mass produced. Right. Yeah. So uh, stay family oriented. Stay family company. Uh, know where the product, where the, f- the source is coming from, where the fruit is coming from. That's important because transparency is very important for us. It's very important for people uh, from the younger generations. Uh, we look at our food slash drinks. Um, because in today's society, there's a lot of bad things going on. Sure, yeah. There's a, definitely a lot of um, lies that we get in the industry. Well, so there's always a couple of geeky questions that I'm going to have um, people ask me, and I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, we drank too much and we didn't talk about it, because <laughs> I'm going to have a wild guess that we're going to probably cross paths later this evening. So um, the when it goes into ferment, so you've got the mash and you're going into fermentation, how long is that fermentation? Four weeks. The fermentation is four weeks. That is quite long. Mm-hmm. So is um, tell me about why such a long fermentation and what you get out of that. Because it's very slow. Because of the temperatures or? Uh, so 
I uh, that's what I learned from my dad. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we do the fermentation for four weeks uh, when we add the yeast, and we keep it at around sixteen degrees Celsius. Okay. Like so, that's perfect. That the yeast has no. Uh, other uh, organism which can develop and eat the alcohol before the yeast can do that. Right. Um, and it's just a fruit, I guess, that the apricot sure. is very hard. So you to guys get are inoculating alcohol. with your yeast. Or is there any sort of wild yeast that's no. introduced into that? So it's all controlled. It's all controlled because you get more of the alcohol out of it. Because you have to imagine a hundred liter mash, like basically apricot wine, mm-hmm. you get between seven liters of pure alcohol out of it. Grain, a mm. hundred liter grain mash mm-hmm. for the corn uh, is 16 liters of wow, yeah. So making a fruit distillate is much, much more work intense than making a grain spirit. It's much more expensive. It's much you more know, expensive. You know, we didn't really discuss that part of it. You know, that's kind of like peeking behind the curtain, but... Um, you know, we talked about ODVs and, and all that that I get from Alsace, and like they're quite expensive and like almost shockingly expensive sometimes. Until you talk to a producer like yourself, and you realize just how much work goes into that, and yes. then you're like, oh, double your prices because it's everything's done by hand. Yes. So since it's going through a pot still, you said it was a triple distillation. Um, so that's literally going through the whole system three times, or is it like uh, kind of you know going through your 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 pot still retort and then back at the end or we have two pot stills okay so we have two pots next to each other okay uh a, a bigger one where it only goes one time mm-hmm. and then we have a smaller uh, pot where it goes two times okay yeah so that's all in one run yes okay super so you're not we're not stripping away any of the the flavors or, no or it's the- a completely closed system we are hiring we have two different kinds of how you can distill either uh um, you announce it to the um, custom and they say, okay, yeah, how many liters of mash do you distill? Or you have a license where you can distill 24 mm, seven. That's right. the license what we have. Right. That's interesting. So, well, I, I, I'm really glad I was able to get you on the show today because yeah, this, is an, this is an area that we haven't really dove into so much is like liqueurs or even um, Austrian and German schnapps and the way that that word's used and, um, well, honestly, we haven't even really had anybody on that produces eau de vie um, in, in France or anything like that. And so, and it's something that I really love a lot and I don't talk about a lot, um, but I carry very few bottles at home of anything um, <laughs> that aren't rum. You know, I have 140 bottles of rum. Wow. I have like two bottles of bourbon, two bottles of, well, I, I now have three <laughs> bottles of gin because I picked one up in Vietnam. Um, but yeah, I, I so... It's a very curated selection. It's um, I, I kind of, other than my rum, excluding that, I uh, subscribe to the Souther Teague um, kind of system of ordering work because he owns Amore Margo in, in uh, New York City. And he said, you know, when he, he has such limited space, I think his bar is something like 240 square feet. If he puts a bottle on the shelf, it's taking up valuable space. He doesn't have a lot of room. So it needs to be the best example of that category. And so that's what I'm always looking for, especially yes. something like an ODV or, or the Bailone um, apricot liqueur or, or schnapps. And uh, I, I get really excited about this stuff because, again, it's just one more opportunity to taste the terroir of a country. I, like, I can taste Wakao. I can yes, taste the absolutely. Austria in it, you know. And, like, I could make an apricot ODV here or schnapps or whatever you would, what Americans would call it. <laughs> I don't even know what Americans would call it. Probably just liquor. 
Um, but it would taste completely different because our trees would taste different. Our fruit would taste different. Absolutely. Um, we don't have, you know, tradition going back 145 years of like perfecting the recipe. And so those are the things that make me really, really excited about checking out, you know, new products like this. Well, new, new to our market, obviously not new to the world. And so I'm really glad that you're, you're pushing this out and to, to the, to the rest of us. Thank you. Um, I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap up every show, I, I try to ask everyone um, if you have any hangover cures that we might be able to uh, impart wisdom to our listeners. Um, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do. But I, I, I think I'm losing them. And the older I get, I'm just losing the, the, the cures. I mean, Thailand was great with the coconut water, but that's expensive here. Yeah, coconut water is expensive. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our hangover cure is actually some kind of like a boiler maker. Oh, really? Beer, oh. And a, a shot of uh, of schnapps or brandy, olive yeah. how you call it. Yeah. Here. <laughs> so do you use your own? Absolutely. Yeah, right. It's cheaper. <laughs> Don't go buy anything else. I always have a stock at home. <laughs> of course. That's awesome. Well, I mean, we're going to encourage everybody to do that. And, um, you know, if you're interested in buying bottles of this and it's not available in your market, definitely check it out um, on wherever you buy uh, booze online. The retailers, I mean, you know, people get on any number of KNL and Aster, and I don't know who you do business with. Um, so, you know, it's it's available out there. You, um, What's the website where people could find out some more information? Bailoni.it. Okay, there we go. IT, really? Is it an Italian website? IT. A, oh. like, oh, like oh, the letter gotcha. yeah, A. Yeah, yeah. A, AT. Um, so that's where we can find it. And we'll have that in the show notes. So definitely check that out. Um, Claudia, this has been a lot of fun. Thank and you so I, much. I really want to visit now. I actually, I might want to You're move there. You're always welcome. So, and you guys actually do do tours, which is, I, th I feel like that's a little bit uh, rare in Europe um, without, so do you do your tours by appointment only or? By appointment only. Okay. So that's, that's pretty common in Europe. But um, yeah, oftentimes we've been told like, no, sorry, <laughs> you know, we're busy. Oh, really? So, I mean, you know, we go to some small places and, mm -hmm. you know, they have, may not have someone to babysit us while we're on premises. So. <laughs> I definitely would recommend anybody coming through Austria, or even if you're in the vicinity, um, you know, Europe's pretty, pretty tight and easy to drive around. So absolutely. You're it, close to everything. <laughs> yeah. You're spoiled. It's so, <laughs> I, I, I'm always jealous of Europeans being able to like, Oh, I'm going to Amsterdam. It's two hours away. Oh, I'm going to Paris. It's 45 minutes away. Oh, I'm going to Vienna. It's two hours away. I'm like, yeah, two hours and I can make it to Washington DC or like <laughs> St. Louis, you know, like, <laughs> Not, not to uh, exciting places. Well, DC is cool. But no offense to St. Louis. Um, so again, thanks for coming on the show. Um, let's go share some schnapps uh, later this evening. And, Absolutely. And, and cheers. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.